Tonight's reading is from Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epiphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we, and we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is God's word. Keep the the Bible open in Colossians 1. We're going to pray and then we'll look at this fabulous passage together. Our Father God, please, would you, would you open our eyes? We long to see how rich and deep and high our privileges are in Christ Jesus. Help us to understand all that you have given us, all that you have promised us, that we might be marked by great joy. Amen. So, Colossians. We're here until Christmas. What's going on in Colossians? Let's start at the beginning. Good place to start. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. To God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Now, Paul is writing either from prison in Ephesus in the early 50s or prison in Rome in the early 60s. We can tell that he's in prison at this point because uh, basically the final verse of Colossians, if you look, uh, remember my chains, Paul says. I don't think he's talking about his bling. He's in prison. And he's writing to a church in a town in Turkey called Colossae. Now, he never went there himself. But he spent uh, between two and three years in a town called Ephesus, which was the main city, really, in the region. And Colossae was 100 miles inland from Ephesus. And during the time that Paul was in Ephesus ministering there, a chap called Epaphras came to Ephesus. I don't know whether it was on business or for a city break, but he came to Ephesus and heard the gospel and put his trust in Jesus Christ. And then went back to Colossae, and he told everybody he met about Jesus Christ as well. We have no indication of the the hardships, uh, the the setbacks he may have faced, but we know that the result eventually was that a, a church was established in the town of Colossae. And now Paul is in prison, 
But his concern is not that he's in prison. His concern is the danger faced in freedom by this church in Colossae. Some very dangerous people, we'll see as we go through this letter, have arrived in Colossae. So what are they doing? They're not stirring up the authorities and saying, ban the church, throw the Christians in prison, uh, throw them to the lions. They're not doing that. They're not coming to the Christians and saying, stop worshipping Jesus, worship Zeus, worship Aphrodite. Or They're not even saying, look, do what the Romans do everywhere. Just accept Jesus as, as yet another God. Worship Caesar, worship Zeus, worship Bacchus, and by all means, worship Jesus too. Now, they're doing something far, far more dangerous than any of those things. What they're saying is, look, learning about Jesus from the Bible, brilliant. Wonderful start. The best, the only start. I mean, everybody needs that. But, but look, if you want to grow mature, you, you need something else. I mean, don't you sometimes feel that your spiritual life is a bit lacking? You know Jesus, but there is that, that sense of, well, there's not as much power to fight sin as you, you wish there was. You've not matured as, as quickly as you hoped. Uh, you don't feel the, the intimacy with God and the, the spiritual vitality that you longed for. We can help you with that. And the answer is, it is something slightly different. But, but trust us, we can help you. Do you ever feel those things? Do you ever find the gospel feels a little bit flat and familiar if you've been a Christian for a long time? Do you ever long for something a bit more exciting? Long for a bit more spiritual power and vitality? I know I sometimes do. Well, that's why the message to this first century church in Asia is incredibly relevant to us in our 21st century church in Europe, in London. And tonight, in the first chapter... Paul is going to show us how to know if you're a genuine Christian. Perhaps you've been tuning in and you're, you're just working these things out. How do you know if you've become a Christian? And how to grow if you are a Christian. And my prayer tonight really is that we'll, we'll all have a renewed vision of quite how awesome what God gives us in Jesus Christ is. Okay, just two points for us. Firstly, you had a genuine response to the genuine gospel, so praise God. Verses 3 to 8. Paul begins with assurance, reassurance, because the church is much less likely to be tempted away by false teachers if they feel confident that, well, look, we're genuine. We're proper 24-carat Christians. Why would we listen to you? Look at verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you've already heard in the true message of the gospel. Paul explains that whenever we pray for you guys, which we do an awful lot, it's always marked with thanksgiving. We thank God for you, and of course we do, because everything tells us you've become genuine, proper followers of Jesus. You're real Christians. Why? Because you have faith, you have love, and you have hope. Faith, love, and hope. The three hallmarks of a Christian throughout the New Testament. Firstly, faith. 
Uh, do you see that in verse, um, in verse 4? We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Now notice, he's not interested in the quantity of your faith, just the reality. He doesn't say, we have heard that you have an unwavering faith without any doubts and no struggles at all. He just says, we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Fundamentally, you've put your trust in Jesus. You trust him for the forgiveness of your sins and you follow him and do what he says in this life. You have faith. Secondly, love and of the love you have for all God's people. Changing the vertical relationship with God always changes our horizontal relationships with one another. The love you have for all God's people. Now, it's not always easy to love other Christians. One writer said, to live above with saints we love will certainly be glory. To live below with saints we know, well, that's a different story. But I don't think the focus is is on the genuineness of the love that they have for one another in their church. The emphasis is that your love is for, do you see, all God's people. I think his point here is that when you turn to follow Jesus, the breadth of your love expands. God is now our father, and that means everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ is my brother and my sister. And so a loving concern grows in a genuine Christian for others in church who are very different from me. And further afield, the fate of Christians being slaughtered in Nigeria or starved in India or persecuted in Pakistan, it starts to affect my heart and my prayers. So it's not that um, what he's saying is, oh, look, you all feel the warm fuzzies for each other. He's saying, look, I know you're genuine Christians because your love has grown. It's broader than it was before you followed Jesus. It's not just the confines of your own friends and family anymore. You love others. You love God's family too. Faith and love, and they spring from hope. They're prompted and sustained by hope. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven. Not hope as a subjective thing. Since you follow Jesus, you've become a hopeful sort of person, all full of optimism and, and just excited every morning. No, it's an object. Hope is stored up for you in heaven. And later on, if you look down in 126, Paul speaks of Christ in you is the hope of glory. You see, for the Christian, our hope is Jesus Christ and his return to bring us safely to his eternal paradise. Look, these verses celebrate the Colossians demonstrated a genuine response to their real Christians. And now in verses 5 to 7, Paul reassures them, look, not only did you respond rightly, but you responded to the right gospel, the genuine gospel. You had a genuine response to the genuine gospel. Look at verse 5. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you've already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. So he says, you heard the true message of the gospel, verse 5, and goes on verse 6 to say it's the message of God's grace. And one of the key ways to work out, have I heard the true gospel? 
I mean, there's so much stuff about Christianity out on the internet. You start tuning into Christchurch Mayfair and, and, you, and you, you hear about Jesus. How do I know that I've heard the truth? Well, one of the key things is, is it a message of grace? Not works, stuff you've got to do to get right with God, but grace. That in the death and resurrection of Jesus, God has done everything necessary to forgive your sins and give you eternal life. And he gives it freely as a gift. It's a message of grace. Verse 6 makes the same point about the genuineness in a different way. He says the gospel you heard, well, it's the same gospel that's bearing fruit and growing all over the world. He's saying, look, it's the one you heard. It's not like an, a cheap knockoff imitation handbag you bought in a market on holiday. You know, it looks kind of like the real thing, but it's just a cheap local knockoff. No, 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 you heard the same gospel that changed you is the gospel that's all over the world, the true brand. And they might not have heard it from the Apostle Paul himself, but that doesn't matter because verse 7, Epaphras, who preached to them, is a dear fellow servant and a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. Paul doesn't want them feeling, oh, look, we missed out because we didn't hear the gospel from the lips of an apostle himself. We just heard it from, I mean, Epaphras. I mean, who's he? Because if, that, if they feel like that, then when people come claiming to be apostles, as lots did in those days, well, the church might feel insecure and listen to those who don't preach the truth but do claim great authority. So here's a church that heard the genuine gospel from a genuine gospel minister and their response of faith, hope, and love shows that they've become genuine Christians. Now, of course, there's room for growth. But Paul says, look, fundamentally, when I think of you, I just rejoice. I say, thank you, God. Thank you that these people are real Christians. It's like a baby, to be honest. Um, uh, Dave and Kristen Wakefield's little baby Stevie, born recently in lockdown, rather needy right now, if you've ever seen Stevie. I mean, in spite of the dire situation the country finds itself in, not contributing to the economy at all, which is pretty disappointing, not even helping out around the house so that parents can get on with work. All that Stevie does is take in food at one end and then expel it at the other end. Um, remarkably, it seems to get the proportions grow larger anyway. Ask them. Um, and then just sleep and gurgle. That's basically it. Not even very big. She's tiny. You can carry around in one arm. Now, Dave and Kristen very much hope that some of those things will change and develop over the next 18 years. And she's got a lot of growing to do. But she has full human rights now. Because when it comes to the matter of, is she or is she not a full human being? She lacks nothing. From the day she was born, she has the same human rights that you and I do. She doesn't need to grow to a certain size or, or achieve a certain level of maturity. She is a fully-fledged member of the human race right now. The same goes for the Christian believer. If you have faith in Jesus Christ and, and love for God's people, grounded in the hope of eternal life with God in paradise, then you are a full Christian. You lack nothing. All the blessings that Christ won through his life, his death, and his resurrection. All of them, every single one of them, are yours by right the day you put your trust in Jesus. So let me ask you, have you heard the truth about Jesus from the Bible? Not the ideas that float around the internet, but the true gospel of grace contained in the Bible. 
And have you responded by, by putting your faith in Jesus Christ? Not, do you have a faith free from all doubts and every dark day, but is your fundamental direction of life faith? You, you trust Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Uh, you trust the resurrection of Jesus for your eternal life. Do you have a love for God's people? Does being a Christian mean, well, you do love a little bit more broadly than you did before you knew Jesus? You care for people you might not have cared for. You, you pray for people who might never have crossed your mind. And does this spring from the hope of heaven? Uh, the hope that in spite of all the struggles and the hardship and the nonsense, in spite of the doubts and the ongoing sinful desires that are in here in our hearts, we cling on because we have this hope that we know it will be worth it. That's the case. Praise God. You lack nothing. You're a Christian. So, secondly, keep growing, keep going, and keep giving thanks to God. Keep growing, keep going, and giving thanks to God. So the church in Colossae, as I said, is like a child, fully human from the first day it's born, lacking nothing, but it does need to grow and mature. And now Paul lets us listen in on one of his prayers for the church. And we'll see three things in this prayer. Uh, three great things to pray for another Christian here at church so that they will grow mature. He prays they will know more of God, they will live more for God, and they'll rejoice more to God. That's what he prays, that they'll know more of God, live more for God, and rejoice more to God. Look with me at verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all his power according to the, his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience." Firstly, no more of God. We have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through the, all the wisdom and the understanding the Spirit gives. It is, when you think about it, one of the greatest miracles of reality that somehow the awesome, unimaginable, uncontainable creator of the cosmos has enabled you and me with our puny little human minds to have a true knowledge of him. It's extraordinary. He does it through his word, the Bible, and supremely through his word made flesh, Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, our knowledge of God is always limited and partial, but it's true. I mean, there are depths to his love, his justice, and joy that 10 million years into eternity, we will still be working out, exploring, and rejoicing to find more of. We'll never exhaust in eternity the riches of the knowledge of God. But here and now, the more you know God, the more you'll enjoy him, the more you'll love him, and the more you'll become more like him. And so press on to know him more. That's what Paul prays for as you dig into his word every day and week by week. Secondly, as well as knowing God, the knowledge should lead, lead us to live more for God. Verse 10, 
so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. See, true knowledge of God never stops in our heads. It always works out into our hands. It's it leads us to live a life where we do stuff that's different, a life of godliness and fruitfulness. Actually, I think he's picking up on the language of Genesis 1.28, where God commanded humanity in the original creation to be fruitful and multiply. And now in the new creation, begun by Jesus Christ in his resurrection, empowered by the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on the people of God, the recreative power of God has been poured out. And so we're told to take the gospel and to be fruitful and multiply, go out with it. The amazing thing when you read verse 9 is that we who could never earn our way into heaven, never do enough to be counted as righteous by our efforts, we really can please God, verse 10. Please him in every way. These faltering, feeble efforts of ours. And your heavenly Father sees and he smiles with pleasure at what you do. What a thought. Then in verse 11, we come actually to one of my favorite verses in the whole of Colossians as I've worked my way through the book. And being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. All of God's unstoppable cosmos-creating, unlimited, mighty power is there to work in you, to enable you to just keep going, to endure with great patience. Isn't that amazing? If you're a Christian and you sometimes find it just pretty hard going, well, be encouraged. Paul says, look, it takes all of God's immense might for you just to keep going day after day after day. Don't be surprised it feels hard. But don't be discouraged because that power is available for each of us tonight. Live more for God and rejoice more to God. Paul ends with the call to rejoice and give thanks to God. See, the more we know of what God has done for us in Christ already and what he's promised for our future, the more we get that, the more we'll be marked by thanksgiving, which increases our enjoyment of God, even when the circumstances of life make things difficult. Now, verse 12 will give us the positive. Look, this is what you've been saved for. And then verses 13 to 14, here's the negative. This is what you've been saved from. Verse 12 giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Qualified you to share in his inheritance. Now, as I understand it, um, old Jeff Bezos has done rather well out of coronavirus. Uh, the personal wealth of Amazon's CEO has increased rather spectacularly to $131 billion, give or take. Now, imagine if he phoned up tomorrow and said, Joe, I've decided to share my wealth with you. I just decided to. I've written your name into my will. And everything I have, you'll get half of. Also, free Amazon Prime for the rest of your life. I think that's not so exciting, but the first bit, that is exciting. I mean, that's the end of financial worries. Can you imagine never, ever, ever having to worry about, can I afford it again? Incredible thought. 
We're here in verse 12, the God of the universe, the owner of the farthest galaxies, as well as all the wealth of the earth. And when you put your trust in Jesus Christ, he says to you, all I have, everything belongs to my son, Jesus. But in him, I share it all with you. All of it, forever. That's what you look forward to as a child of God. When your few debt-ridden days on earth are over, you can look forward to an eternity enjoying the wealth of the God who owns every atom of every planet, of every galaxy, in the farthest reaches of the universe. All his and all yours in Christ. That's the positive. The negative, what we're saved from, verses 13 to 14, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. To trust in Christ is to be rescued from an oppressive power of sin and darkness and instead brought to live in the kingdom of freedom and light and peace. I watched... um, uh, a short while ago, the, the film Argo. It's a, it's a great film, but it's not what you call stress-free. So if you've had a stressful day, it's not one to watch. It's all sort of jerky cam- handheld camera to make you feel the tension, and it, it works. You, you feel like you've had too much caffeine at the end of it. But it's a, it's a really, really good film. It's um, based on true life events, the 1979 Iranian Revolution. And the, uh, the Islamic fundamentalists who, um, who took over Iran weren't you could say, the biggest fans of America. And so one of the first things that happened was they stormed the American embassy and took everybody hostage. But six uh, embassy employees managed to escape. And they're terrified for their lives. They're on the run. There's riots everywhere, people shooting in the air. And their lives are in real danger. But they get taken in by the Canadian ambassador. And they're hiding in the ambassador's house. And in the meantime, the Revolutionary Council is sort of picking through the debris of the embassy, working out how many employees there were and, and have we got everybody. And you can feel the tension rising as the, as the shredded photos of all the employees start to be put back together and the, the head counts are done. And they're trapped with no way out, no passports, no way out. Enter um, ben Affleck, CIA exfiltration expert, who came up with this, truly came up with this brilliant plan of, uh, you can watch the movie, but the, he, he gets them through this uh, ridiculous plan of a fake Hollywood movie um, to Canadian passports, pretends that they're a movie film production crew, and smuggles them to the airport and gets them onto the plane just ahead of the Revolutionary Guards who've worked out who they are and what's going on. And the plane takes off, and you see they're sort of dotted around the plane, just sat there, gripping their seats, the sort of sweat trickling down their heads. Uh, The plane is in the air, but what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And there's just this silence. You can just hear the... There's the plane, and they're sat there. And there's a phone call on the plane. You see the, the head stewardess. And then she gets on the intercom and says... Pilot has just told us, we can now serve drinks. We've left Iranian airspace. And there's just this explosion of, I mean, everybody's cover is blown. They're just sort of jumping up and down, leaping, hugging, crying. And there's just this enormous release of tension because they have moved from the dominion of death and darkness. And they're now safe. They're not home yet. They're still in the air. 
but they're out of the dominion of darkness. And you and I are not yet home. We're not yet enjoying our inheritance in the kingdom of God. We're struggling financially in London. But if you trust in Jesus, the realm of sin and death no longer holds you. Sin is a reality. You sin during your daily life. That's why we confess each week. But sin is not a power that holds you, that determines your destiny. We're across the border. We live in a new kingdom with a new king. In Argo, as they, enjoy, uh, as they exit Iranian airspace, they enjoy the, the blessings of champagne. Uh, as we exit the dominion of darkness, we have much, much greater things to enjoy. The freedom of no longer bearing the burden and the shame and the guilt of our sin. For Jesus has rescued us and we rejoice. See, to be a genuine Christian, you don't need to hear the gospel from an apostle. You don't need to achieve any great level of spirituality. You just need to put your trust in Jesus, shown in basic faith, love, and hope. Ordinary. But basic, ordinary Christianity is extraordinary. Because through Jesus, God has dealt with the biggest things we face and fear in this life already. We've been delivered from sin and guilt and shame and insignificance, and meaningless, and even death. And through Jesus, God has given us the hope of eternal joy and happiness with him in paradise. We lack nothing if you trust in Jesus, and you have everything to look forward to. Let's pray. Our Father God, how... Thank you for these glorious gospel realities. Please would you open our minds to understand them better, our hearts to grasp them, what you have done for us in Christ, what you have promised to us in Christ, so that we might live lives marked by thanksgiving and praise and joy. Amen.